welcome to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. And let's go ahead and just talk about that for a minute. Uh, five and a half years ago, June 5th, 2015, we launched the StatCast podcast. And I believe at the time it was described as discussing how the groundbreaking technology would revolutionize the game. And I, I think it has. We did 220 episodes of that show. First, just me. And then for the last few years, Matt Myers as well. And we had a lot of fun with it. But as we said, when we took a break a few weeks ago, it sort of felt like that show had run its course. It hadn't really been a show entirely about StatCast for a long time anyway. So it's time for something new. Uh, and that's what the show is going to be. It's still going to be Matt and I. We still like stats. We still like fun. But a relaunch gives us a little more freedom to add some different voices and talk about some different things than we are really able to do on a StatCast-focused show. So for example, this week, we will have our big season kickoff preview. We will have on six different MLB.com writers. We'll have uh, Mark Bowman and Juan Turbio in the East, and Rogers and Mandy Bell in the Central, Allison Footer and Thomas Harding in the West. Going forward, we have a big list of people we want to talk to, both within MLB, externally. We hope to have some of our favorites on regularly, like Sarah Langs and Will Leach. It's an experiment. It's hardly the weirdest thing about 2020. And frankly, Matt, I'm happy we're doing a show again, and I'm happy that Baseball seems like it might actually start in three days. It's been a while. I can't remember the last time I went like three weeks without talking to you. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's 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 happening. That gif. Um, so uh, I'm I'm excited. You know, as you, you said, three days from now we're recording this on Monday afternoon, uh, July twentieth. Uh, and you know, as Mike alluded to, we're doing it. We're breaking it into divisions, into in sort of regions, East, Central, and West for our preview, which might seem weird in normal times, but we thought for this year it made a lot of sense because of the way the schedule is being set up, right? Where teams in the AL East are only playing teams in the AL East and the NL East. And then Central and Central, West and West. It's not exactly a balanced schedule, but it's almost entirely a balanced schedule with some, you know, you know, tweaks for, uh, you know, the, the natural rivalries, some of which make, make se- more sense than others. For example, Mets Yankees, Mets, make, Mets, Yankees make sense. Mariners Padres makes less sense, but you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll go with it. So that's the gist of the, um, of the discussion today. And, um, you know, it's a uh, baseball season's here. It's, it's going to happen. And Thursday we've got, uh, you know, Garrett Cole and Max Scherzer getting us going, which is, uh, exciting in its own right. Yeah. And after we talk to, uh, our six of our friends here, Matt and I will do our, our season, uh, previews, our season predictions, excuse me, about who's going to win the divisions and win the awards. And I imagine that we will probably be in alignment on a lot of that, um, but not all of it. You know, as as we get closer to the season and it seems like things are really have gone reasonably well over the last couple of weeks in terms of, of keeping it safe with the pandemic. What stands out to you just aside from like the ongoing every day? This is just going to be weird as hell you know, for the season, like for me, that the two things that immediately come to mind, well, I mean, I guess for the moment, it's where are the Blue Jays going to play? <laughs> That'll be a thing. Um, but I, I think people have forgotten that you still have the, the rule where a new pitcher has to face three batters. Like that seems like it came into existence a million years ago. You know, there's the NLDH. Um, I have a whole bunch of interesting data on what you should do in extra innings. I don't think we'll get to it on this show, but maybe next week. But what, what are you like most excited to see? I'm probably, I mean, it's for me, it's more like teams and players. Um, right now, like, I'm most excited to see, like, uh, Luis Robert and the White Sox. Like, it looks like he might just be just kind of a star from day one. And I'm really excited to just to, to be able to watch that. And, you know, we'll get to the, the White Sox a bit more when we talk about the uh, AL Central. But, like, when I think of, like, the season, I think of I think of him. I think of the, 
the, the Blue Jays, I think of it, what Vlad, what Vlad Jr. is going to look like. And, you know, are we going to get, you know, we get uh, Boba Shed and Fernando Tatis Jr. with the Padres. We sort of like had all, we've like this, there's all this like new talent that we were excited to see um, when the season was going to begin. Uh, and then, you know, in, I guess late March, early April, and now we've kind of had to, to wait. And so for me, that's, that's like the real excite, excitement for me is seeing those new, those new faces. Did you watch any of the exhibition games over the weekend? I was I was really interested to see how it was going to look and feel in terms of no fans and the kind of pumped in crowd noise. And I guess from what I understand is it's, it's very different if you are one of the few people in the ballpark. I have not been in the park just watching on TV, but I think it, it worked pretty well. Like if if you didn't focus too much on the wide shots where there were nobody in the stands, uh, it it felt like regular baseball to me, and I think that's a credit to the the broadcaster teams. I really liked the um, the Mets team, sort of just like leaning into how weird this all was because you had Gary in one booth and Keith and Ron in another booth, and then when the Mets were at Yankee Stadium, they were still at City Field talking about how for some reason there was this giant fan at home plate that you could probably hear through the radar. Like I don't I don't think anybody should hide from how bizarre and not normal this is going to be. I sort of like these guys talking about like wow, we've never done this before in our entire lives. Yeah. On that point, I mean, I think, I think, you know, with, with some of the, some of the, uh, like with some of the teams that have like cardboard cutouts in the, uh, in the stands, like, you know, when, when it's like, it's, it almost, it, it, it sort of looks, I don't know if real is the right word, but like, it looks kind of normal with the cardboard cutouts. You don't really pay attention. It's like, oh yes, there's like outlines of people in. So like, it's a little, it's definitely a little jarring when you have that, like, like in the Mets Yankees at City Field, they had the, the cut at City, they had the cutouts behind home plate and then someone hit one deep to the outfield. You'd be like, oh wait, actually there's no one there. Um, so it was like, you got that, that weird juxtaposition of like the jarring switch from, um, oh, it looks like fans are there to no, uh, they're not. Um, I'm also looking forward to how uh, the, the new ways that this, and by looking forward to, I mean not really looking forward to how people <laughs> how people are now going to complain about home run distances for different reasons. Because now, like with no fans in the stands, um, home run distances are going to be like deceiving in, in other ways that they haven't been before. Um, but even just yesterday, the one that like Stanton hit that went like four fifty, but it's like really hard to see where the ball lands when it goes into like clear bleachers because there's no like hands. Usually, you you, you can like follow the hands in the stands like reaching up to try and catch it. So when it just like hits on what might be like the eighth row of bleachers or maybe the 18th row of bleachers. And it's kind of unclear. Um, that will be a whole new uh, source of fun for those of us who uh, are interested in, in home run and uh, general, uh, general uh, stat cast tracking. I was, I was thinking about that and I was thinking, I don't know if anybody remembers this dated reference, but like years ago, maybe they still do it. I don't know. I don't watch football that much anymore, but they used to have like before the pro bowl, these skills competitions, right. Where they would, you know, paint these, these placards, you know, 25 yards, 50 yards, 75 yards, and the, the quarterbacks will get points for nailing them. Right. Why don't we just put those in the seats or, or paint it like the red seat at Fenway. That's supposed to be 502 feet away. You know, like let's, like let's go. Range. Yeah, exactly. Why don't we, why don't we do that? I mean, the other question that came up about home runs, I've seen people on Twitter asking this is what happens to the balls? <laughs> you know, there's nobody there. They just kind of bounce around. Presumably a staffer goes and gets them at some point. Where are the good home run dogs, right? Why don't we have good dogs in every stadium who are trained to get the balls? I would watch that pretty much 24 hours a day. Who wouldn't want to see that? Just wait until they like go and chase a ball that was like hitting the gap. And, you know, it's like a play. So, good. you know. Weird. Let's lean into, lean, lean into the weirdness. Lean into the weirdness. 
<laughs> well, anyway, this is uh, this is our new show. Um, we're pretty excited about it. Uh, thank you for joining us if you are a new listener or sticking with us if you are a previous listener. we got a lot of fun people to get to, so let's take a quick break and start with our Eastern Division preview. So as we kick off our look at the combined AL East and NL East, we are joined by MLB.com's Mark Bowman, who is our Braves beat writer, and also MLB.com's Juan Tribio, who is our Rays beat writer, and as I just found out, who were spring training roommates for about a month. So this should be uh, a fascinating conversation. But gentlemen, both of you, thank you for joining us. Uh, Juan, I kind of want to start with you for a minute, because anybody who knows me, or I guess Matt as well, but really the show knows that I'm pretty much obsessed with the Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> I probably watch them more than, I don't know, any other team, yet somehow I've never been to the Trop, which I feel like I have to rectify at some point. Um, the the Rays are feeling like, you know, I mean, the Yankees are probably the best team in baseball, right? But the Rays are going into this not considering themselves um, a wild card hopeful, but they think they can take down the big dogs. Is that right? Yeah, and I think the 60-game season, as much as anybody else, kind of benefits the Rays more than any of anybody else. Just they have so much pitching. I mean, they, they 20, 25 deep with their pitching staff. So, they, yeah, they definitely think they could take the Yankees and, and kind of sneak up the vision here. Um, is anybody outside of Tampa Bay, inside Tampa Bay, as excited about Colin Poche as I am? Or is it just me? Um, not as excited as you are. Maybe, like, Colin Poche is, like, family. Um, but that's about it. Also, by the way, you need to go to the Trop. I mean, you have to visit America's Ballpark at least once. It's a, you haven't experienced baseball until you've been in the Dome. My, my favorite thing is I've seen you tweet out the uh, when they do the neon colors of the Dome, like inside, and it looks like some sort of giant floating eye of death. Uh, I really, I do feel like everybody needs to witness that in person. Is, is America's Ballpark your name for it, or is that like a, is that like a thing? Um, I kind of started coming up with it during 4th of July because they, they, with the lights, they would just go red, white, and blue. Um, and I kind of just wanted to mess around with some Yankees fans a little bit because I always kind of enjoy that on Twitter. And then it just kind of picked up from there. Other people started saying saying it, and I'm like, okay, I guess I guess it's a thing now. Um, and, for, and for some of our new listeners who are maybe just joining because of the, the, the rebranded, renamed podcast, Mike Compoche is a, is a favorite of Mike's going back to last year due to his, uh, uh, what was it? What is the, uh, what's the, uh, the elevator pitch for Compoche? Why he's great? 10 seconds or 10 seconds or less. Why is he great? He throws one pitch. He doesn't throw it that hard, but he's got elite movement. And even going back to the minors with Arizona, he had just insane strikeout numbers. How can you not love a guy like that? Then there's the ball. People say they can't see it. Um, that, Mike, that was as succinct as you've, you've ever been. Um, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> one more raised question before we get to before we get to the Braves. For um, yeah, is one you know Mike and I have talked a lot about the potential for with the Rays specifically for extreme platooning and pinch hitting, um, and then, you know the Rays might kind of get weird with their strategy. Um, just how weird do you think it might get? And how does like you know the uh, potential availability or lack thereof of Austin Meadows affect any of that? Well, first I want to shout out David Adler because I know he's gonna love this when he listens to this. They're definitely gonna use a five man outfield. <laughs> I mean, sorry, wait, a two, wait, man, two man outfield and a five man infield, whatever you want to go with. But they're definitely gonna do a two man outfield. I mean, that's that's for sure. They've done it during scrimmages. Kevin Catch said it was they weren't gonna do it, and the next day he said they were gonna do it. So. That means they're absolutely gonna do it. So David Adler is gonna be watching Rays games every every game. That's gonna be great. Um, Wait, can, I, can I interrupt you for a second? One would, yeah, would that only be with Kiermaier and Margot, or 
is it like I think Renfro? Any- I think Renfro might be an option there as well. But yeah, if if Kiermaier goes kind of their their go to, but I wouldn't be surprised if Renfro was in that mix. I mean, Renfro's a pretty good defensive outfielder, which kind of surprised me when they acquired him. Obviously, he's he's a bigger guy, but he's pretty good defensively. Would um, that be specifically when like a ground ball pitcher is pitching, or with the bases loaded, or something? What 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 scenario might we see? I'm I'm very excited about this. So what scenario might right. what, might we see this? Yeah, we have a, it definitely be a ground ball heavy pitcher with a guy who who tends to hit a ground ball. So it, it won't be with the bases loaded. It could actually be with one out, nobody on. I mean, they're they're just gonna do it because they're the Rays and they think everything works. And and most of the time it does work. So like Kevin Kiermaier said, he said everybody thinks it's crazy until it actually works. So it's tough to kind of bet against them with the opener and putting a reliever on first or third. They've done all kinds of stuff during their last couple of years, and I guess this will be the next little experiment. Juan, what, I was going to ask Juan, Juan, will that be more situational or based on the pitcher? I mean, or or is it a combina- combination? No, I think it'll be based on the pitcher. So, I, like I said, it, it could it could literally be with one out, nobody on. Yeah. If a guy, if they have a heavy ground ball pitcher on the mound and they have a guy who tends to put the ball on the ground a lot, they're just going to go ahead and do it. It'll be like a shift. Yeah. That's just kind of what, the, yeah. It's it's gonna be interesting for sure. I mean, they have Kiermaier, who he could pro- you can make an argument they could go six men infield and one man outfield. <laughs> now, now that's what I want. That's yeah. amazing. Who's Juan, Who's the swing player? Who's the player that will go from infield from outfield to infield? Um, so it, it it kind of depends on the left fielder. But if Margot's in right and Kiermaier's in center, or Margot's in left, it might be. I mean, it, Austin Meadows, like you can see him whenever he, he returns on the field. Uh, Mike Brasso, who's actually an infielder but could play the outfield. Brandon Lau is another guy who's going to play the outfield, also an infielder. I mean, they have the versatility to do that, to just kind of get a left fielder and put him in, in the infield. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, what if someone hits one down the line and, you know, instead of, you know, it's a triple <laughs> yes. inside the parker. I mean, like, yes, it's going to be wild. I mean, actually – Brasso hit a double in the gap on the two-man outfield when they tried it, and it would have easily been an inside the parker. I mean, there was nobody near the ball unless Kiermaier just – I don't know. It would have to be insane for him to even get a triple on that. So it's going to be its going to be really interesting for sure. Mark, I wanted to ask you about the status of Freddie Freeman. Um, obviously, he unfortunately came down with COVID, and there was a, a story where he said that he had a fever of like 104 and a half degrees and, you know, had never felt like that before. And it sounds like he thinks he might be ready for opening day, which would be a, a wild comeback. Is that actually true? Do you think he'll be in there this week? Yeah. I mean, he, okay. So, I mean, obviously he was, he was sick. There it was uh, the, the days, his worst days were July 2nd through the 5th or so. And then he had a few more days. He's been, um, he was symptom free for about a week before, he was cleared, and when he was cleared on Friday, he came out and did a workout, said his legs were a little bit tired. Uh, Saturday night, he got seven at-bats in an intra-squad game, and last night he got eight. Planning on getting something similar tonight. By the end of Wednesday, if the Marlins agree, uh, when they play exhibition games the next two nights, he's hoping to have close to 30 at-bats, 30 plate appearances uh, within a five-day span. He thinks that that'll be enough. Uh, for his eye and that's fine and dandy and I, I think it would be playing first base you're, you're not he's not gonna you may not be worried about uh, hamstring you know him pushing um, going too hard too fast and 
uh, from first to third or trying to score on a single. You, you may worry about that stuff. But I think that what they'll do is try to talk him into being a DH, uh, maybe two out of those first five games to allow him to continue to get his conditioning. And, uh, you know, whether whether or not it's, it's the um, – it's the right move. Uh, maybe, maybe they should be a little bit more cautious. Uh, I do expect him to be in the lineup on Friday at City Field. Mark, when um, when he came back to camp, uh, manager uh, Brian Snicker, Snicker was quoted as saying, when you get your best player back, it's a positive thing. You know, As good as Freeman is, I'm of the belief that Ronald Acuna, because of his wide array of skills and uh, position, is the Braves' best player. What do you think that is, is what Snicker said, the perception in the clubhouse, that Freeman's the best player? And if so, why? I mean, I think right now when, when you've got a, a guy who's been, you know, cornerstone for uh, probably the last five years, um, you know, as soon as they made the, gave him the deal instead of Hayward, um, you know, he is an, an annual MVP candidate every year. I do get what you're saying. And I think Freddie would tell us the same, that, that Ronald is a more talented overall player. And, and this may be the year that Ronald puts it all together. But um, I think from, I think you're going to find managers. Um, if most managers that at this stage of Ronald's career would, would say, yeah, it's an incredible talent, maybe the most talented player he's ever managed. But at the same time, he's, he's still considering or referring to Freddie as his best player, just because uh, you know, for, from an experience standpoint, they're, they're both, you know, they are both going to be MVP caliber players for the next few years, Ronald for the next decade, Freddie for the next two or three years until, you know, he starts getting deeper into his thirties here. But, um, you know, to, to think of, uh, to, to say that, that Freddie is, uh, more talented than Ronald, it would be like saying like most players, that there are very few players in this game. Uh, who rate as high with each of the five tools as Ronald does. And, and, and what I've seen over the last week is a, a guy that's just that much, you know, just a little bit more physical maturity um, and uh, maybe a little more awareness. It's I'm looking forward to seeing what he does over these next two months. You know, Mark, you said something interesting there about the possibility of Freeman playing DH because when I look at the Braves lineup, it just seems like there's so many moving parts. Like obviously you'll have up the middle Swanson and obbies, right? But the outfield is kind of in flux with Marquecas choosing not to play and then Puig signing, but then not signing. And if you have Freeman as the DH, I guess that makes what Duvall or Riley, the first baseman and enforces Ozuna to play the outfield every day. Is that yeah. how it would shake out? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's not great. I mean, that's, I mean, so you got to wait. Is it really that important to get get Freddie off his legs? And I do think it is. When you're, especially when you're going to play, the Braves are playing each of the first twenty days of the season. Um, you know, to to have him come in here and, and just go gung ho over these five or six days leading up, and then try to play twenty straight days uh, on his legs. I think it it would be beneficial to go ahead and roll the dice with Azuna and left a few times. Um, you know, I when the Braves signed Azuna. You know, I, I saw him in the division series playoffs last year and then knew he wasn't a good defender, but it's, you know, scouts kept saying, I don't think you truly understand how bad he is. Well, you, you, get, a, you get a better sense <laughs> in spring training than when you, when you see him every day. Uh, again, and, and even over here during the scrimmages and extra squad games and stuff, the, the range isn't there. The arm is, is gone since the surgery. So, 
Uh, if you have to put him out there and left, you know, for a couple of days here or there, that's fine. But I, I thought we'd help them in many different ways, but I really was like the way they could, they could have aligned their outfielders with Puig. Right now, you know, against left-handed pitching, you you know, you definitely want Adam Duvall in your lineup. Um, and I, he's a above-average defender, so certainly an above-average left fielder. Um, and so, you, you know, you could put him out there at that point in time. The question is, though, against left-handers, are you also wanting to send Ender, Ender and Ciarte? If you're doing that, moving Acuna to to center for those games, who's going to play right? Um, and so if you would have had Twig around, he could have he could have been your left left fielder against right-handers and uh, moved over to right against left-handers. And they would you know, have had just, that much more depth. It's interesting you say that about uh, Ozuna's defense because he was, I think, if not the biggest discrepancy between StatCast metrics and other metrics, he was pretty close to it. He was, um, I think like minus eight uh, outs above average by StatCast. And he was, you know, about average or slightly above by the other two. And when he signed, there was not any indication there would be a DH in the National League this year. So do you think he signed with the expectation that he would not have to be a full-time DH? I mean, I know that that's that's true, but do you think he would not, you know, accept it if he was asked to do that every day because that's not what he chose to sign? Yeah, I don't think he had any any interest in it. I mean, obviously the... $18 $18 million was that one year deal was one that he had felt like he had to accept at that point in time that best for him. But yeah, I don't think he was, uh, maybe he couldn't be choosy at that point in time, especially with that offer on the table. Uh, but given a preference, I'm sure he would like to play the field, but, but I think it's in his best interest to go ahead and, uh, show what he can do as a DH because what I, I, I have seen a guy over, Spring training, he didn't swing the bat very well, but but here in the last week or two, um, I've seen a guy who's who's putting the play, putting the ball in play with authority, with uh, you know, pretty good consistency. So he's, you know, I, I think at this point in time, he's just going to have to accept the fact that you know his range is is very limited now. Uh, his arm is gone, and he's going to whatever value he has in years going forward, he's going to have to prove he has it with his bat, and the DH allows him to to you. And Mark, what does the AL East look like to you? Because then, you know, we won't have to worry about you guys looking at your own teams. What does the other side look to you? And, and how interesting is that going to be? Like Juan, go ahead. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting. I haven't seen the AL East, I mean, the NL East, I'm sorry, in a couple of years. So the first thing I think of is really good pitching. I mean, Strasburg, Scherzer, DeGrom. Um, and then I think of the Marlins. I'm from Miami. So, you know, I grew up watching the Marlins. So I know what the Marlins are kind of going to bring to the table, uh, even though they have a lot of young pitching. But, yeah, I just think it's an interesting division. It's pretty wide open. You see Bryce Harper, Ronald Acuna. So they have – I feel like it's really uh, top talent heavy in, in the in the sense that they have a lot of superstars and then kind of the middle of the, of the roster is just kind of like whatever. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how those teams match up against the Yankees, the, the Rays, the Red Sox. And then the Blue Jays. I mean, the Blue Jays are kind of the most interesting team for me because they, they're they so young. We kind of saw in August and September how talented they were. And they remind me a lot of the Rays in 2018 when the Rays won 90 games and everyone was talking about them as one of the up-and-coming teams. So it's going to be really interesting interesting to see how those teams kind of match up. One, one, one league with a lot of really good pitching in the other league. 
But then the AL, AL East with the Yankees kind of slugging their way, it's going to be really interesting to see how that matches up. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's great that you have the, the NL East and the AL East going head-to-head. I, I think they're the top to bottom. The NL East is is probably the most game's most talented uh, and, and most uh, competitive division this year. And then you've got the Rays and the Yankees who might be the, the, the game's top two teams. So uh, the fact that you know, you're going to see NL East teams playing those two teams uh, on a regular basis is very interesting. I like you know, I love everything about the the Rays pitching. You know, not only um, you know their their rotation or their depth, plus their depth within the rotation and their bullpen. Um, you know, we, we saw we know they have some young, uh, talented uh, position players. And, and you know what? It's I if the pieces all fit together for the Yankees this year, maybe this is indeed their year. But I I wouldn't be surprised to see the Mets you know, go ahead and have their own season. Maybe we have another Subway series. Um, I guess what I'm getting back to is I would not be surprised that not only are these teams playing each other here during the regular season, but it, I, I think there's a good chance we get an AL East versus NL East uh, matchup in the World Series. Now I've got a question for, uh, for both of you looking big picture at your own divisions, right? I think, one, fair to say, as we discussed, the Yankees are considered the the – the Rays' primary competition, and the Orioles are at the bottom of the pack. Who do you think the the Rays see as a bigger threat right below them? The Red Sox? Or I Blue think the Jays? Blue Jays. And I know Red Sox fans are kind of going to cringe hearing that. Um, actually, high in bloom. So <laughs> it's going to be interesting how they kind of adapt on some of the things that the Rays used to do. But I think the Blue Jays, like I said, they reminded me a lot of the 2018 Rays team. They don't have the pitching the Rays had. But the position players are just so talented. I mean, Vlad, Bichette, kind of all those guys, Gurriel, all those guys, we got to see them a lot, obviously, last season. And I think they're they're a couple pieces away. Ryu, I didn't Ryu was a big step. They're a couple pieces away from really starting to, you know, cause some trouble for, for both the Yankees and the Rays. I don't think they're quite there yet. But those 10 games against the Blue Jays aren't going to be as easy as, they, as they've been the last couple of years. So for both the Yankees and, and, and Rays, I feel like the Blue Jays are probably third in line on that. And then, like you said, you have the Orioles there in the, at the bottom of the pack. But I think – and then obviously the Red Sox, you can't kind of sleep on that lineup. Even though they don't have the pitching, that lineup can still pre- present its problems. But I think that as of right now, I think the Blue Jays are the biggest biggest threat. And, Mark, in the NL East, I feel like the shape of the division is kind of similar, right? The Braves – you have to consider the Nationals, the, the Braves' biggest competition defending champs. And then um, – at the bottom is the Marlins, and then there's the Phillies and the Mets. What do you think of the Phillies and the Mets? The the Braves see as as like their biggest threat. Well, I mean, I think probably the Mets. I mean, I I think because if you look at that Mets lineup with Cespedes, you know, available to, to DH, um, you know, you look for McNeil and um, Alonzo to do what they did last last year, and Davis. That 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 has a the potential to be a, a very potent lineup. I'd say that that one, that would be their, their bigger threat. But with that being said, I went to spring training this year thinking, you know, boy, this, this Phillies team has uh, a shot to, you know, win the division this year. I, and my thinking was what they had, the production they had before McCutcheon was hurt last year. And, you know, but now as I, as I continue to look at that team, and as much as I would like to say, you know, the Phillies are that team that they could, you know, either 
you know, give the Nats and the Braves the most trouble or uh, win the division, I still look at their bullpen, but at the same time, their defense. Uh, you know, to put Gregorius and Segura on the left side, Segura will be better at third than he was at short, but I still think that they could could have some problems just like they did in 2018 where, you know, I think a, a big reason the Braves were able to to win the division was how bad the Phillies' defense was. The question is, will the does the defensive influence have the same effect over 60 games? Do they have enough offense to cover it for 60 games as opposed to 162? Because if you think back tonight or back there to that 2018 season where their defense was historically, you know, bad, they still were there, you know, near the top of the standings through uh, at that 60 game mark. Well, one last question for you guys. You were roommates in spring training. Who was the messy roommate who used all the milk and didn't replace it? Tell, tell us a good story. The messy roommate. Uh, I don't know, Bo. What do you think? I, I'll, I'll take that one, you know. I, I'll take the messy roommate, you know. I mean, Juan, I came in and Juan had, you know, health food. In the refrigerator. He had the bullet for his, his smoothies, all this kind of stuff, you know. So, you know, I... I, I didn't, I didn't prepare the the same way he did. So we'll, we'll give him the. Uh, fortunately, we 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 came into the house and for the first week we didn't think we we're like. Oh, <laughs> it took us it took it took us a while to figure out that we were able to to get the uh, you know YouTube TV and everything else on that TV. I will say Bo was the, I might have been the, the cleanest, but Bo was the better the better roommate. He fixed the TV. He found these lights that we had in our patio. Uh, that were incredible. <laughs> he found the heater to the pool, so I gotta give him credit on that. I I kind of just showed up, made my smoothie, and went to sleep. P- pool? What kind of luxury <laughs> rental are you guys getting? <laughs> <laughs> they, they all, they all have pools. That's, that's what they're known for. I guess that's right. Well, it sounds like you guys were very compatible then. You know, so, so some people, you know, different different strengths you brought to the table. Yeah. We could start an entire different podcast series just polling off our beat writers about spring trading stories uh, but i learned something about you too so uh jonah Matu, my favorite one and mark it should be a pretty exciting uh nl and al east this year and i'm excited to have you guys covering it thanks for joining us thank you As we move on to the two central divisions, we are joined by Andy Rogers, who covers the Cardinals for MLB.com, and Mandy Bell, who is our Cleveland beat reporter. Thank you both for joining us. Uh, Mandy, I kind of want to go right to you because I feel like this is a question Matt and I have been asking each other for like three years. What is going on with the outfield in in Cleveland? It feels like they're always sort of trying to piece together uh, like two good outfielders out of like six different pieces. And it feels to me like it hasn't worked so well. Is that the plan again for this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I started last year and I think it just seems like I, all I've written about is the outfield situation because it just seems like it's an ongoing situation for them. Um, this year, it's a, a little bit more set in stone, I'd say, than last year, but that's not saying too much. You have Oscar Mercado, who's going to be out in center. Um, that's for sure. But then you have left field that will probably be between Framel Reyes and Domingo Santana. And 
neither of them are really known for their defensive abilities as much as they are for their bats. So that that's going to be an interesting situation to see who ends up playing out more um, in the outfield. It looks like it's going to be Domingo Santana, at least to start. Um, and then Tyler Naquin probably out in right field. Now, Jordan Luplo will also be someone else that makes an impact at some point. Um, but I just don't know how quickly he will be able to just because he had some back problems all through summer camp. Um, and they're definitely going to want his bat against lefties because he really just mashed left-handed pitching last year. Is there any scenario where they will play Domingo Santana in left and Fran Mil Reyes in right at the same time? Uh, and if so, would the pitchers revolt? <laughs> um, I think that they would try to avoid that scenario at all costs, if possible. Um, I don't see that happening. I think if one of them's going to be in the field, uh, the other will be DHing. I, I I don't see it happening where they're both out in each corner, but I guess stranger things have happened. But yeah, I, I don't know how the pitchers would feel about that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, Annie, I guess it's a similar question for you with the Cardinals outfield, right? Like, I was on uh, the local ESPN radio station there the other day and asked me what I would do in the outfield. And I said, play the young guys, right? I, w- I would play Carlson, Bader, and O'Neill. And there's just absolutely no shot they'll do that, will they? Not not to start. Um, you know, yesterday, Mike Schilt kind of hinted at what the outfield is going to look like. And it's pretty expected. We're going to have, we're going to probably see Tyler O'Neill in left field. We're going to see Harrison Bader in, in center. And we're going to see Dexter Fowler in right. Um a lot of fans, obviously, and, and rightfully, are calling for Dylan Carlson um, to, to start the season with the Cardinals, and that's pretty much not going to happen um, unless something crazy happens in the next two days. Um, but I think, uh, I mean, the Cardinals want to play their young players, um, and, and they're going to give them a chance, maybe not as, as much of a chance as most people would like to see, but they're going to see Tyler O'Neill and Lane Thomas in left in um, in left field and, and Lane Thomas kind of around the outfield. Uh, and eventually I think they they will see Dylan Carlson up with the club and all over the outfield. He can play all three spots. Um, it remains to be seen, you know, Harrison Bader and, and Dexter Fowler are considered the incumbents in center and right, and they're going to have to produce to stay there. Is it me, Annie, or does it kind of seem like the Cardinal fan base is putting like a little too much faith in the idea that Dylan Carlson is going to be like a star from day one? I mean, he's there's there's a there's a lineup of nine guys, right? Um, so he's not going to save the season, but he has shown um, he has shown that he can hit major league pitcher pitching in both spring training and in summer camp. He's shown that he has really solid defense. He can run the base as well. So, yeah, he could bring excitement to the lineup. I, I don't think he's going to save the entire season. That's a lot to put on a young guy like him. Um, but I do think that he can add something. He can add a spark. He can add a jolt to the lineup later later this season or even quicker than some of us are thinking. If it's not him supplying the offense, where does the offense come from? Because it wasn't a great offense last year, and now Ozuna's gone. And I feel like at this point, you can't really ask for much more from you know Molina or, or really Carpenter, since they're not necessarily young anymore. And Colton Wong, who's obviously a fantastic defender, seems to have maybe maxed out what he can do with the bat. Uh, so if if not Carlson, you know who's who's supplying this? They they do want to see a revival from Matt Carpenter and and you know Paul Goldschmidt and Dexter Fowler. Um, those are their veteran guys that. You know, they're paying a lot of money to produce. And what they've seen so far in spring training, especially from Matt Carpenter, um, is encouraging to the team, and, and it should be encouraging to the fan base as well. Um, 
But as far as the, the rest of their offense, I think they're looking for Tyler O'Neill to, um, as you know mentioned, he's going to be in left field. They're looking for him to kind of show that power that he showed in AAA um, and have, it, have him produce in the majors. They're going to look for Lane Thomas to do the same. Um, and you mentioned Colton Wong and, and Tommy Edmond too. They're 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 hoping that he continues his his rookie season from last year. Um, you know, he was kind of a spark plug for the team and they're hoping that his, you know, infield and outfield versatility as well as the lineup versatility helps them. So they're looking for everyone to kind of have a better year than last year. And and uh, it remains to be seen if that's gonna happen. Um, but they're encouraged by what they've seen so far in spring training and summer camp. Uh, Mandy, back to you if if this Cleveland team is going to really go far, it's going to be because the starting rotation is very good, right? And I think not enough people nationally really get how good Shane Bieber is, but I guess I could say the same thing for for Mike Clevenger, right? Because for so long, it was it was Kluber and Bauer uh, and Carrasco at the top. And now I feel like these two are, are actually the kind of co-aces. Which one do you think the team looks at as being like their number one? Uh, absolutely, Shane Bieber. You ask Terry Francona that, and every single time he'll tell you that Bieber is stepping into that role. He's uh, he's often said, Tito's often said that he's catching himself saying things about Shane Bieber that he said about a young Corey Kluber, and I think that speaks in itself. Um, this this organization has such high hopes, and, and, and it's not just saying that they don't have any for, for Clevenger, but they have really high expectations and hopes for what Bieber can turn into uh, over the next few years, and uh, I, I think Clevenger's still in that same boat. Uh, it's just because maybe last year he had to miss two months with an upper back injury that, that kept him out for a while and uh maybe it was just because he didn't have that full season to be able to to prove more I'm not sure exactly but I think that the potential as close as they are for both of them it's just a little bit higher for Bieber and that everyone in this organization could not be more excited to see him uh step more into that role this year there's there's one pitcher on the team that I feel like not enough people are talking about uh, and I wrote about him uh, the other day in sort of like a breakout pitchers list, and that's James Karinjack. And I know that most people who don't follow Cleveland very closely know his name, but in the minor leagues last year uh, and a little bit in the bigs, he struck out like 22 per nine or some totally obscene number. And uh, I just nobody's talking about him. Like, is, is he going to make the team, hopefully? And if so, like, do you think he's going to throw enough strikes to kind of make him the next, let's say, like Nick Anderson type? Yeah, I think the problem with with – Karen Shack will be just his fastball command. I think the issue there is uh, is just the walk rates. Whenever you're looking back, I know you said about the strikeout uh, strikeouts per nine, they were absolutely insane. And if you talk to any of his teammates, when we were back in Arizona for spring training, and he was doing those live batting practice uh, sessions, and he had that that curveball that just seems like it falls off the face of the earth. Um, everyone in the clubhouse, you could just hear everybody whispering about it, talking about it. His stuff will play really, really well, and we got to see that a little bit last year when he came up in September. It's just all whether he can command the strike zone, command his fastball. Um, even in his first inter-squad appearance during summer camp, he uh, uh, he had four walks, walked in a run. I mean, it, it was a little bit, it was a little rough to start. He's starting to settle in more as it goes. It's just, it's all going to be a matter of will he be able to command that fastball. I do think he's going to be able to break camp with the tribe just because in general they don't really have too many options to carry in that bullpen um but whether he thrives or not will be all on that fastball command sticking with the bullpen i want to uh throw one to to annie on, on the cardinals front you know there was you know last year they had a big loss when jordan hicks needed tj and there was hope that he would be able to contribute at some point this year then of course he elected not to 
he, opt, he opted out of the season. He has a pre-existing health condition. He's a type one diabetic. He's not going to play this year um, due to concerns about um, safety, uh, health and safety, which totally understandable. Um, but you know, obviously that has an effect on the Cardinals on the field. What is their bullpen? How, like, what are like the dominoes of the bullpen and, and whose role is going to be most affected by uh, the fact that we know he will not be pitching this year? Yeah, the Cardinals bullpen has had a few. They've been they've been affected by um, you know injuries with John Brebbia being out for the season with his own Tommy John surgery, absences um, from summer camp um, with Giovanni Gallegos, Alex Reyes, and Henesis Cabrera who have all just come back. Um, so that's that's good news for the Cardinals. And then as you mentioned, Jordan Hicks, um, you know opting out of the season because of his diabetes and his elbow surgery, which is, again, you know, he shouldn't, um, you know, that was the right decision for him and, and the Cardinals fully support that, support that. But as far as what the bullpen looks like, you know, I think it's going to, they, they believe they have the depth to overcome all of this. And, and I think that they do. Um, they have a lot of young, talented arms who are going to come quickly. Um, Johan Oviedo is one of them. Cody Whitley is another. Um, as soon as Gallegos is ready to go, he can be, um, slated into the into the closer role. They also have Andrew Miller for that role as well. Um, Ryan Helsley is another one that they, well, we could see in the ninth. Um, so they, they have the depth to overcome it. They have a lot of uh, they have a lot of long inning relievers who could also be seen in a short burst. Um, Austin Gomber is one. Daniel Ponce Leon is another. So they have the depth to piece together a bullpen. Um, as far as as far as how well that they'll how well they'll do and how effective they'll be. Um, you know that that's kind of gonna. It's kind of going to be seen uh, with the rotation, um, be affected by the rotation. But uh, I do think that you know they have the depth to overcome all of those, all of these absences and injuries, and um, and Hicks being out. Um, and we'll see if they're as stable as they were last year. Any, you obviously you have been reporting on a National League team, and now you're not going to see the East or West this year. So, are you like studying up on the Royals and Tigers to try to be an expert on some of the teams you'll actually have to see this year? A little bit. I mean, um, you know, I, I try to read as much as I can and I've definitely read more. I've definitely read more as when I figured out, when I found out that uh, the Cardinals would be playing AL Central teams and not the AL East teams that they were going to do in, in the, you know, 162 game season. But I think it'll be interesting. I think it's going to be fun. I mean, I'm embracing the weird, the weirdness of the season. It's going to be. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, the NL Central is going to be so tight every game. I mean, in a 60 game season, it's going to matter no matter what, but the NL Central is going to be crazy. You add in, you know, the twins and the Indians um, from the, from the AL Central and, you know, it's going to be fun. I, I'm embracing all of it. Mandy, what would you, um, for someone who's coming in to, to watch the Central a lot for the first time, like Annie, what is, is there anything about the, the AL Central that like someone who doesn't follow it closely might, might not know that they should know? Well, I mean, I think we learned a lot about the Twins last year. So I think that the the secret's out on, on just how good of a team they have. I think the team to watch this year will be the White Sox. I mean, just from the Indians' perspective, I know even last year, whenever they, they didn't have the team that they have now, the Indians even struggled against them going 8-11 and 11, uh, against Chicago last year. But I, I really think that they're... They're sort of like a sleeper candidate going into the season. Now, I, I think everyone realized that they, they got a lot better over the winter, but I, I still think that they might be flying a little under the radar. Um, I, I think they're, they're going to be a, a team to watch throughout the whole year and, and might be a little bit more competitive than what people are expecting. I was going to say, Annie, what about you on the flip side? What would you say to someone on the, in the AL Central who's coming to – to watch the NL Central closely for the first time? Like, what they, what should they know about the NL Central? 
Well, I think everyone knows it's going to be really tight. Um, you have four teams kind of vying for, for the top um, with the Cardinals, Reds, Cubs, and Brewers. Um, you know, the Cardinals have a really deep pitching staff. That's going to be their edge. You know, the Reds have, have the offense that they acquired um, in, in, during the winter, and, and that's going to be their edge. The Cubs and the Brewers, you know, largely stay the same, but they were also real, they were also pretty good last year. So um, I think it's going to be fun. I, I think for people coming in to watch the NL Central, um, look at the pitching. Uh, that's gonna that's kind of that might be what determines this this uh, division, and that's going to be really fun heading down the stretch. Mandy, one of the the big stories for me about the uh, about Cleveland last year was that. You know, Jose Ramirez got off to such a lousy start after he'd finished the end of the previous season poor. And then he was great. And then he got hurt. Uh, and then he came back and he you know, had like a three run home, three homer game or whatever. Who is the real Jose Ramirez? Like, is he that MVP type guy? Is he the guy who looked like he couldn't play for last year? Like, what are you expecting out of him? I think the real Jose Ramirez is that MV or that all-star level MVP type of level type of guy. I mean, I, I think he just fell into a skid that, oh my goodness, was as, as bad of a skid as anybody could fall into. It, it was, it was tough. And whenever you t- ask Terry Francona every day about what do you see going on with Jose? What do you think is going to happen? Like, do you see this turning around? He said every time we just need to have the patience because uh, obviously he's struggling through some things right now, but whenever it clicks, it's going to click hard. And I promise you guys, he's going to come on and be like that all-star level player that we know. Um, And he really did. It was June 14th, really, that, that it came alive. And after that, through the end of the year, Uh, He hit around like 320 and and had an OPS over a thousand for the last like 63 games. So um, I I really think that's that's truly who he is. He's had a pretty hot summer camp. Uh, He looks a lot better now than what he did entering the year last year. Um, But it was it was just a rough skid. And every time you ask him, he didn't necessarily uh, have an answer to what went wrong. But it, it was definitely a timing thing because it seemed like anytime he made solid contact, everything was going foul. Um, but it, it seems like he's gotten it worked out, and, and I think everyone's really expecting him to have a much bigger year and a better start to this season. Andy, kind of the same question for you in regards to Jack Flaherty. He was, you know, only okay the first half of last year, and then obviously down the stretch, he was, I guess you could actually say, historically good. And, and mm-hmm. did you ever get a chance to to talk to him and really like get him on the record in terms of what he felt he changed? I think you know. We talk so much about, you know, we kind of say mindset, mindset, the mentality um, is that might be that might sound a little cliche, but man, it was true with with Jack Flaherty last year. He he recognized I, I go back to that, you know, San Francisco start um, in, in late July or early July. Sorry, with with him and he had a no hitter going into the seventh. The home run was the only run he gave up. And he recognized that he could, he, he knew what he could do after that. And, um, you know, he kind of changed his, his mentality going into the rest, the rest of the season. We all saw what, what the, you know, what, what that return was, but, um, you know, he just, as far as mechanically, he, you know, commanded his fastball better. He got, he kind of was able to mix his pitches in a better sequence um, than before. And, you know, once he established his fastball, he was able to rely on his slider a lot more and, and, and throw that for strikes. But really it was just Jack kind of coming into his own and, and understanding that he could be the ace of the staff and um, understanding that he has the stuff and to attack hitters and, and he has the talent to, to be great. And, um, you know, we all saw that kind of play out over the second half of the season. And, you know, the mentality hasn't changed at all. Um, we'll see if, you know, people can adjust to him a little bit more, but 
um, he certainly is ready to have the season like he did, you know, in the second half of the season last year. Yeah, Flaherty's become one of my favorite players this offseason. Uh, not only is he fun to watch, but he's been one of, among the more uh, outspoken players on issues of uh, uh, racial injustice and, um, you know, talking about um, the Black Lives Matter movement. And uh, he's really it's really been impressive to see him emerge as like a, a prominent young voice uh, in the game. Um, you know, Annie, uh, you had alluded to before, and it's no secret that NL Central is like wide open. It's probably you know it's a fourteen race. We're going to put the, the Pirates in a, in a different in a different bucket. Um, if you were you know to ask the the, the Cardinals front office or you know and, and their uh, as, as well as Schultz, like if you if you were, or you had to guess, who do you think they see as the team in terms of like biggest threat two and three? That's an interesting question. Um, I think they view it as they're the team to beat. Quite honestly. Um, after winning the division last year, but obviously the Cubs are always um, they're, they're always the team to beat for the Cardinals, especially um, being their rival. But you know, I think uh, I think you could also make a case for the Brewers because of how Christian Yelich just absolutely obliterates uh, the Cardinals pitching. So I would I would probably say the Brewers um, if for the Cardinals front office um, and, and Schultz um, and, and then the rest of the team on, on the team to beat um, because they have the offense that that historic, I mean, last year um, beat Cardinals, Cardinals pitching. So I, I'd probably go with that, but that's a really interesting question and one that I haven't asked them and maybe I will. All right. Last question for both of you. And we'll start with Mandy. Mandy, which player in the NL central are you most excited to see? Man, I feel like it's hard to say anyone other than Christian Yelich. I mean, you hear so many things and obviously watch all uh, all the time on television, but uh, I have yet to see him in person. So I think that's going to be the fun part is at least he's the the Brewers will be coming to Cleveland at the beginning of September. um, And I I think he's going to be the one who I'm, I'm most excited to watch play. All right, Annie, uh, Christian Yelich, good pick by Mandy, and maybe an obvious one, but a, a good one. Uh, I'll flip it to you. Which player, Annie, in the AL Central are you most excited to see in 2020? Yeah, it's a good question, and I think I'm going to have to go with Francisco Lindor, and it's not just because Mandy is on the podcast. Um, it's because, you know, obviously he's a he's an electric player. Um, he's he's fun to watch on TV, but I, I haven't really got – I haven't ever gotten to see him in person. And I really haven't watched too much of the AL Central um, really in the past few years, um, just because I have grown up in, in National League territory and, um, you know, went to school in Missouri and, and came to Saint, into Saint, into St. Louis. So kind of an NL person over here. So I'm really excited to see, see him and, you know, kind of just see a lot of the players in, in the AL Central that I haven't really ever been able to watch, especially in person. And, and obviously Lindor is, is really, really fun to watch both offensively and defensively. So it should be fun. Yeah, I can't wait. I, the, both of the centrals are going to be really interesting. The NL is just sort of a four-team mess. And, you know, even the, the American League Central, like I am huge on the Twins, but, you know, Cleveland has obviously been there for the last couple of years and the White Sox made some big moves. Um, so this is this is it for our look at the Central. Annie and Mandy both, thank you very much. Make sure to follow them on Twitter and read them at MLB.com. We'll be back momentarily with our look at the two Western divisions. As we move our focus to the Western divisions, we have Thomas Harding, our Rockies beat writer, and Allison Footer, who a uh, former Astros beat writer and now one of our, our best national writers. And we're going to talk about 
I think one of the more interesting sets of divisions, just because like the East is so condensed in, in terms of like the Eastern time zone and the central, especially, and the West really isn't. And that, that's actually the first question I wanted to ask um, Allison, you know, Houston is in the central time zone and a lot of the team's games are going to be out West, right? Like there's not going to be games against the AL central or the AL East or anything uh, as the, uh, has the fan base kind of like understood that that's going to be a little different this year. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, they're they're sort of used to that anyway. Um, I think that the fan base is just anxious to watch baseball again. Um, but there there was some negotiation. It was interesting when the times came out for the games, uh, the start times. Um, I, I noticed that some of the Astros home games are starting at eight. Uh, there was a negotiation uh, between the teams in the Central Time Zone and the and the West to in the Pacific to. Um, have their everyone's games at a time where everybody's going to be able to watch, you know, at a decent hour in both in both uh, zones. So I don't know, it was kind of cool, and and I think that um, that it's going to be fine because the Astros know that the only time that they get to play at a normal time is when and when they're playing the Rangers, <laughs> and they know they're going to be out west a lot. So uh, it's just a weird thing for everyone. But I've not heard one. I'm pretty tapped into the Astros fan base. I've not heard anybody really talking about, you know, geography or anything like that. They just want the team to be playing. Yeah. Are you concerned at all about the uh, the state of the pitching staff? Like, obviously, you've got two very good starters, uh, Verlander and Granke. And then it just seems like there have been a lot of pitchers who haven't quite made it into camp yet. You know, like, it seems to me like for the first time in a couple of years, depth might be uh, like an actual serious issue for this team. Yeah, and depth was actually going to be a little bit of an issue before everything went awry in, in more normal times. But yes. Um, you know, you kind of look at everything. It's, it's a strange way that we're having to view this because when I look at the bullpen, um, it has all the makings of a lot of, of issues. I, I would say would be, I would use the word problematic. Um, so Roberto Osuna is, has definitely been with the Astros in camp for some a period of time, but he was not there at the beginning and he has not thrown off the mound as of this taping. And, um, you know, the season is obviously starting soon and they lost Will Harris and there's other issues. Uh, Joe Smith is probably not pitching this year. And some of the Brad Peacock is having some injury issues. Austin Pruitt, the new guy, he's also doesn't seem to be ready to start on time. And so what's going to happen is it's going to really fall to the, to the starting pitchers to pitch really deep into games. And, and then you, you wonder, you know, Justin Verlander, he had like two, injury issues at spring training and one that that forced him to have surgery so he would have already missed half the season in normal times and and Zach Greinke you know these guys are 37 and 36 respectively and then you have Lance McCullers and that's I think the one bright spot because you don't have to monitor him so he's coming back from Tommy John surgery and in, in, a, in a normal season he'd probably be shut down at some point you know sporadically and then and it would definitely be on an innings limit so with this I think they're just gonna be able to let him fly and so I think that he's going to be like sort of a stabilizer, which is odd. But then Jose Arquiti has also been out and he's not starting the season on time. Um, so, yeah, there's a shortage. And I'm trying to weigh that against the other teams in the division, um, trying to see, like, is anybody else shorthanded like this? It seems like the Astros are going to be at more of a disadvantage. Sticking with sticking with the uh, pitching theme, uh, Thomas, the Rockies made a lot of news the last few days with their bullpen. Um they uh, released uh, two of their big free agent signings from a couple of years ago, Jake McGee and Brian Shaw. And then they uh, told Daniel Bard that he was, who hasn't pitched in the major leagues in seven years after coming down with a case of the yips and other, um, you know, they're kind of like uh, issues. Uh, 
what is like how, as an outsider how should i take this is this a sign of desperation is this a sign of a team finally willing to admit its mis- admit its mistakes how do you see it i think it's the latter that they're willing to admit mistakes on sean mcgee and they gave them every opportunity and just watching especially brian shaw he looked like a guy that he's going to show up somewhere else and be a good relief pitcher on a good team. It just wasn't working at Coors Field, and he spent um, almost his entire time here going to places like Driveline and looking at all of the uh, all of the data, trying to figure out how his pitches would work. It just simply didn't work here. So I think that by A, making admitting the mistakes there, and B, what, what happened toward the end of last season where Jairo Diaz and Carlos Estevez and especially Scott Oberg they pitched very well. They pitched their way past those guys. And Bud Black has been very good at that. If you look over his career in Denver, um, like if you go back to 2018, when they went to the postseason, Adam Montevito was not pitching well toward the end of the year. And suddenly he kind of disappeared from that bullpen group that was protecting leads at the end of the year. In 19, he was pitching a whole lot better and he was in that. So Black has been pretty good at making the adjustments along the way, and I think that actually by subtracting McGee and Shaw from the mix, uh, it, it's a little bit cleaner now. They they have some young guys that are that seem to be pitching pretty well, and if they're able to figure out who can protect leads, they could bounce back into contention. You know, one thing I found a little uh, frustrating about the Rockies over the last few years is they've had these really interesting young guys like Hampson and Rogers and, and Tapia and McMahon, and they uh, don't always give them like the opportunity to go out there and play. You know, they've had a lot of uh, veterans kind of playing ahead of them. Do you see that changing this year? Like, do you think maybe Rogers is, is going to be an everyday player? I think he's going to have to hit to be there. Like, if you go back and look at the Ryan McMahon entry into the major leagues, um, a couple uh, back in, I think it was 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Had some chances early, really wasn't hitting, but they sent him down. And by the end of that season, he was a contributor as a role player. Then last year, he became a starter. So a lot of a lot of it had to do with the ex- expectation of making the playoffs um, in that case. Um, with, with Garrett Hampson, it looks like he's established himself as a pretty good role player. But at the start of last season, there were some things wrong with his swing, so they sent him down. Brought him back, and at the end of the year, he performed pretty well for them. So um, with, with, with Rodgers, it doesn't look like there's an easy entry for playing time there. So he's going to have to beat out some people to get that playing time. And I think that's that's the way it is. I mean, you could argue that they didn't let the young guys play, especially in 17 and 18. But they went to the postseason, which they hadn't exactly had a habit of doing around here. So uh, basically established that that if you are performing well, you're going to get those at-bats. If not, then someone who's more veteran is going to get those at-bats. Now, for the Rockies, you know, Brendan Rodgers has been kind of one of these players who seems like he's been like a top prospect, like breakout guy for, it seems like, years. And I think for the Astros, that guy is is Kyle Tucker. Um, we've been kind of waiting to for this, you know, this star to arrive. Allison, is, is, is that finally going to happen? I think it's going to um, because out of necessity, <laughs> uh, you know, he was, he was definitely in line to make the team out of spring training now that the rosters have been expanded and they're going to be needing to fill up some DH at bats because your Don Alvarez is, um, is not with the team right now. Um, so we were asking Kyle Tucker actually the other night, if he would be comfortable in a DH role, it would sound crazy for your top uh, hitting prospect who is, 
very sound defensively. I mean, he's still, you know, progressing on that side. But to, to actually be okay with DHing, and of course he said he's fine. I mean, we're talking about 60 games. That is not the, his future. But, um, you know, he was untouchable. You don't hear those words that much in modern times um, when it comes to the trade deadline. But there were guys that they – there were two guys that they were absolutely not going to entertain in trade talks. And one of them was Kyle Tucker. The other was Forrest Whitley. And when you think about what the Astros could possibly lose after the season, which is the entire outfield to free agency – um, Kyle Tucker is absolutely uh, needs to play this year because he is going to play next year. So um, I'm, I'm intrigued by him. Um, he had some, he started the spring really slowly and then he really turned it on for the final week before things shut down. And he just seems to be one of those guys just, just like so naturally gifted. And I know Astros fans have been clamoring for a while now to see him come up. And it's just, it's very hard to crack the Astros, you know, lineup for the past few years, it's almost impossible to do it no matter how loaded with talent you are because of how loaded this team has been, but it's about to thin out a lot and we'll see a lot of Kyle Tucker. You know, it's, it's amazing to think that just a couple months ago, you couldn't bring up the Astros without talking about the sign stealing scandal. It feels like 15 years ago. Is it possible that they are actually going to benefit in the sense that there's not going to be fans on the road, like booing them to the moon and back? Like, do you think that the hitters will have a little bit of an easier time than they might have? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I tell the story because it makes me laugh, but I was kind of jumping around spring training sites when I, when I was in Florida, right before the shutdown, I had, I had the Astros, I think three days in the row. The first day I walk in, I had not seen any of these people in months. I walk in the clubhouse and a very established player uh, sees me and says, are we going to be playing in front of empty stadiums this year? <laughs> I, said, I said, well, that would be a huge financial hit. So I don't think we're going there. I mean, I sound like a complete idiot now. Look what happened. But uh, I don't think he was saying it with like hope uh, because obviously, you know, the ramifications of, of what would be happening if you're playing in front of empty stadiums is very bad. But that was kind of on their minds. Like there will absolutely, they, they caught a break. And, I, and it's terrible to say that because what's actually happening in the world is horrendous. But from a baseball standpoint, um, you know, I got a really just bad vibe like my first day there, just kind of, you know, the swagger of the Astros and like, like the confidence. I mean, I, it was just a weird setting. And I thought, you know, this, this sign stealing thing is going to probably derail the season. Um, I don't feel that way anymore. I think that the players, it'll be interesting to see when they play the Dodgers, but, um, but yeah, playing in front of empty ballparks, no matter how supportive the Astros fans would have been at home, it was absolutely going to be brutal on the road. And I think they died. Yeah, it is kind of entertaining. They were not going to originally play the Dodgers in the schedule. And now, of course, with the all-West schedule, they will. Um, you know, you guys both participated in the uh, kind of MLB.com straw poll of the writers about who would win each division. And I looked at the results. And in the National League West, the Dodgers got 54 votes and the Padres got one. Um, I assume it was neither one of you who voted for the Padres. You don't have to own up to it if you are. But, but Thomas, it, the Dodgers have been the power in that division for so long. And that doesn't appear to be changing anytime soon. Like how far away are the Rockies or, or the Diamondbacks or the Padres or the Giants from catching up with that team? The, this is, this is an oddity here because yeah, they've dominated this division, but sometimes when I listen to the, the discussion of baseball, you would think Dodgers have won every world series. Um, <laughs> all these years have been different. I mean, we go back to what was it? 2000, um, 18 were the Rockies and the and, and the Dodgers played the one game playoff for the division. You go back to 2017, Dodgers ran away with the division, 
but the Diamondbacks and the Rockies beat them in the regular season series. So um, someone is going to have to knock off the champs before you expect them to. But while they are winning this division, I don't know that they're seen as the monster there. They just happen to win the division. And a lot of times it, it seems like teams go into it saying, okay, we can win the division or we can win the wild card. Let's just get there. So I, I think that's kind of the vibe I get in the West. And I, I, I don't see the Padres winning this division. So yeah. So don't worry. It wasn't me. <laughs> well, then, oh. it wasn't me either. <laughs> no, All right. Well, well Thomas said, okay, if the, if the Dodgers are the clear number one, from the Rockies' perspective, who do you think they see as the biggest challenge? If they're trying to get a wild card spot, who do you think they see as the biggest challenge in the division? Is it the D-backs or is it I think the it, uh, Padres? I think it has to be the D-backs. I don't think the Padres have proven they can pitch at that level. And also, um, Rockies and D-backs, they kind of have a rivalry going here. And it seems like also that, that those two teams... Not not only are the games really interesting, but it seems that there are a lot of um, there's a lot of matching of wits between the two managers. Now the Rockies fell off last season, but I thought in 17 and 18 some of the some of the best managed games, and every now and then you would see an unusual bullpen move was were between um, Tory Lovello and Bud Black there. So the, I, I'm looking at the division that way still this year that the Dodgers. Um, especially with their pitching and especially where they play and where they pitch. I expect them to be the top team in the division. The Rockies and the Diamondbacks, they play in decidedly hitters' parks, and I think that hurts them in the division. I think if the Padres ever got to the point that they had pitching that could that could um, rival the Dodgers, they may be that team that jumps, but I just don't think the Padres' pitching is there. Now, over in the AL West, Allison, it seems like it's a two-team race, right? The Astros and the A's seem like, you know, there's a reasonable case for either of them to win that division. Do you think the Astros see anyone else in that division as even a potential threat um, for 2020? I think the A's are a threat, I mean, and I actually A's. picked them to – oh, besides the A's. Uh, no, they're not. I, I mean, every year, um, every single year, somebody convinces me that the Angels are going to – make some noise in that division. And every year I buy it and I'm not buying it anymore. Um, so I, they have, if you look individually, they've got, of course, these marquee players, but the starting rotation has never been able to stay healthy. And um, it seems like a mix and match. I think that Joe Madden will be very good for the team. Uh, I just, I don't know what the, what the long-term plan is. And uh, they just, it's really just been health there. And um, of course we know that the, that the Mariners are are rebuilding, and I just think it's interesting. The Mariners are clearly on a clock on a, on a time um, where they are waiting. They are planning to be good when the Astros window starts closing, and I'll be very interested to see where the Mariners are, um, you know, in the next couple of years. But they're not there yet. And the Rangers are a team that are like really they're interesting to watch. They're it's a fun team to watch for their fan base. They're very mediocre in in every way. They have a couple of really good <laughs> Tell pitchers. Tell us how you really feel. They got a couple. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I saw I saw what they were doing last year, and I thought that the trade deadline was was really interesting because they didn't know what they were going to do with Mike Miner, and they wanted to be competitive um, going into this year with their ballpark opening. And I do give them credit for kind of staying the course, making some necessary moves. The, they're trying to develop through the minor leagues, but that's been depleted over the years that they were really contenders. 
and um and, and I do give them credit. I mean, look, when the Astro, when the Astros, I was working for the Astros when they opened their ballpark in 2000, and it was a disaster. They they lost 90 games, um, and that was not what they were planning at all. Um, and you want to be a good team when you're when you're having this brand new shiny ballpark to introduce to the fan base. So I think that they're they're going to be a thorn in the side of some of the of their competitors, but they're not. I don't think they're going to win the division. I don't think they have a chance to win the division. You got such. Such angels disrespect over here. I think if the angels had heard this, they would probably be like, wait a minute, we're right in the mix. For the record, I agree with you both. Um, even though Mike Trout is amazing, the, the pitching still isn't there. Thomas, I was a little surprised that you weren't a little higher on the Padres. I, I picked them uh, when we when we unveil our you know full choices. I have them as second in the division, not close to the Dodgers, certainly, but I love that bullpen. And they've got, you know, so many exciting young players like Paddock and Tatis. And it, it sounds like maybe you're not quite as high as, uh, as on them as I am. I don't like their rotation. And, and that's that's been the key there. And I don't know that that the rotation they've been trying to develop, if it pops, they could, yeah, they could, they could jump up in that division. But I'm not going to buy them until I really see it. Um, and this is a team that I, that they do have a lot of uh, very good prospects. Uh, one of the stronger minor league systems, but I need to see it at this level, especially out of the rotation. You're right; they do have a good bullpen, and at the times that they have done well, they, they've had better starting pitching than I suspect that they have right now, and the, the good bullpen. I just don't think that starting pitching um, component is quite there. Hey, I've got to say this about the American League West. I, I like following it because a lot of ex-Rockies are running those teams. I mean, Jerry DePoto up there in, um, in in Seattle. You've got John Daniels down in Texas and Billy Epler with the with, with the Angels. I almost feel like I know those teams. So it's kind of fun being in that division with uh, other general managers and people within their organizations that kind of came through the Rockies uh, domain there years ago. I've got one more question for both of you. A slight variation, but like, so I'll start with Thomas. Thomas, for you. Who do you think, you know, if the Rockies are to surprise people and maybe make a compete for, you know, a playoff spot, who do you, besides like, you know, let's, let's take like Arenado off the table. Who's like a non-obvious player, maybe who's going to, who could make or break their season? Um, Daniel Murphy. I have seen the hitting that I saw in Washington a few years ago. I mean, it's, it's, it's really been eye popping the difference. Now he did have a finger last year and I don't think he was in the best of shape from the knee injury a couple of years ago. He looks like he could have an impact for this team. And the reason why I'm saying that he's a bit of a surprise is I kind of came into this and people make fun of me here because I sound like his campaign manager, but I came into this believing that Ryan McMahon is going to make a major step forward this year. So Daniel Murphy, because of how far he's dropped off um, and what I'm seeing out of him physically, what I'm seeing from the swing, if they do get back into this thing, I think his bat is going to have a huge um, impact in that. And now for you, Allison, it's maybe a little trickier because the Astros have like, you know, four or five like Arenado types. So like maybe who's the less obvious player um, that you think could make or break the Astros success this year? Can I pick a sure. pitcher? Okay. Well, I think Josh James is going to be a big factor because he is in the rotation and it's more out of default because Jose Arquiti is out. Uh, Fran Framber Valdez will probably be the fifth starter and you never know what you're going to get with him. But Josh James has had some decent success in the past. I mean, he's pitched out of the bullpen. He's also been a starter. He can hit a hundred miles an hour um, with somewhat regularity. And so he's such an exciting pitcher. 
um, you know, he didn't start camp with the Astros and we were all very concerned. And then it came out that he was actually just held up because his daughter was born. So that was really great. And it was, uh, you know, the news that it wasn't an illness and he was also working out regularly and absolutely staying up, um, you know, keeping up with his work every day. So he's ready to go. And, and when you're talking about Verlander, Granke and Lance McCullers, um, but then, you know, what comes after that? And when you have a bullpen that's with such uncertainty, as we discussed, someone's going to have to absorb some innings. And Josh James is young. And I think that he he could be a big factor on this team. Thomas, I'm disappointed you didn't go with Matt Kemp, who I still can't <laughs> believe is actually on a, a big league roster at Colorado well, Rockies. Yeah, well, I, I will tell you this, though. Matt Kemp, when he comes to Coors Field, I, I don't care. When he's at Coors Field, he rakes. I mean, even watching summer camp here, it was like watching all of the Rockies' nightmares, only the guys wearing purple pinstripes. It's, it, it is a strange thing. He, he gets what looks like weak contact and the ball is bouncing off the scoreboard. Now, what he'll do on the road or what he'll do in the field, I have no idea. But I would think that in 30 games at Coors Field, I would have a hard time justifying not putting him as DH until he proves he can't play. Well, I, I sincerely hope he will be a DH because I can think of at least like three different occasions when he was at his peak with the Dodgers where he ran into the Coors Field wall and like seriously hurt himself. Yeah. <laughs> Sidetracked. But it's funny because he also had the um, the Padres' own first um, cycle in their history here, and it seemed like every time he showed up hitting, the, he was a cycle threat or or multi home run threat each time. So maybe just keeping him off the field and letting him hit at Coors Field will be a great thing for his career. I mean, uh, it, it, if it goes the way the Rockies hope it does, I'm sure they're hoping that uh, the DH becomes a permanent part of baseball and they can keep Matt Kemp around for as long as he can, you know, walk up to the plate with a bat in his hand. Well, I sincerely hope so. Anybody who knows me knows that I'm fascinated by the Rockies and I follow them a lot more closely than you would think, considering the fact that they're usually, uh, you know, far behind the Dodgers. Uh, Thomas Harding, Allison Footer, thank you so much for educating us on the West. It should be a pretty fun season this year. Thank you to our six writers uh, who really, I think, educated us a lot on what the season's going to look like in the East, Central, and West. And it kind of got me even more excited for the games to start. So, Matt, this is something that's super dangerous because even in a 162-game season, you can make projections and predictions and something can go wrong. And now we're going to be foolish enough to try to do it for a 60-game season in which the only certainty is chaos. So I'm really excited to look back on this in two months and see how wrong we very much were. Right? And no one, no one really remembers anyway. And I remember one time, actually, um, <laughs> when I was in my back in my ESPN days, I, I want to say it was the 2010 World Series. They had all the writers and editors of ESPN at the time do their predictions for the playoffs. So this was just before the playoffs started, which I think was still the, with only one team wild card. Um, so it was, I guess, you know, eight teams. And I think I was the only reporter or reporter or editor who picked the giants to win the world series. And one of my like college friends saw it and was like, so blown away when the Giants. he like, he emailed me like the night the giants won the world series. He was like, you're the only one who picked the giants. So, you know, I feel like it's one of those things where no one remembers it when you're wrong, but sometimes people remember when you're right, at least your friends. So, um, yeah. I don't think I can screw up as bad as I did last year, where I'm pretty sure for my American League Rookie of the Year choice, I chose AJ Puck like three days before his elbow gave out. So I'm hopeful I'll do a little bit better than that. All right, let's start with the East, American League East. Um, and also one thing I'll say, one thing I'll say is we're each going to give our our predictions for each of the divisions and the awards, and we'll also share. We polled um, uh, 55MLB.com writers and editors for their picks, so we can compare our picks to what the masses said and the 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 um, 
the predictions will all be published in full on uh, MLB.com in the days leading up to the season. Yeah, and a fun thing that's about to play out in real time, because we didn't talk about this, I've got one through five for all of my divisions. I'm not sure if you just have the top, so you might have to wing it as we go. Sure. For the East, we're both picking the Yankees, right? Like, I, I the love Rays. the Rays. You picked pick the Rays! Rays. Yeah. All right! Now, especially now that I know they're going <laughs> to try the two-man outfield. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I mean, um, I picked the Rays as, my, as a wildcard team. Like, I'm in on the Rays. But I, for the East, I want Yankees, Rays, Blue Jays, Red Sox, Orioles. I'm unconvinced the Orioles win more than eight games this year. And even though the Blue Jays may have the weirdest home field disadvantage ever, that Red Sox pitching staff is just cover your eyes bad. So I, they're a fourth place team to me. Yankees, Rays, Jays, Sox, Orioles. What do you got? Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm with you. Um, I have um, uh, Rays, Rays, then Yankees, and then Blue Jays, uh, uh, Red Sox, and Orioles. I'm I'm. I'm in on the Jays. I think the Jays are going to be really exciting and really good. And I think Hyunjin Ryu is like a great acquisition for them. And um, uh, I, yeah, so um, let's move on to the Central. So over the weekend, uh, I, I, well, I had written this thing about the seven tiers of Major League Baseball, right? Like which team was the top tier, second tier, et cetera. That was your idea that we published. And I had the Twins in the top tier. And I got a lot of pushback from people who do not consider them a top tier team like the Yankees or Astros or Dodgers. I think that's nuts. I think the Twins are fantastic. I think they are going to win the division maybe kind of easily. Twins, Indians, White Sox, Royals, Tigers. I know the White Sox uh, made a lot of big moves. They are better, certainly. I still don't trust their pitching staff. Uh, they're a third-place team for me. So uh, Twins at the top, though. That was a no-brainer, I thought. Uh, well, I'm, then I guess I've got no brain. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, it's, 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 it's all in good fun. So I'm, I'm, I'm all in on the White Sox. I think they're, they're, they're sort of like the Blue Jays, but better. And I think that, um, uh, I've got White Sox, Twins, Indians, um, Royals, then Tigers. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, I don't feel strongly about the, about the, about the bottom of the division at all of, of those two teams, but, um, I'm just, it's a hunch on the White Sox. I, I, the, the thing is, I do think the Twins are legitimately stacked. It's more of just like, you know what? Like, 60-game season, it's going to be weird. And, you know, as, as I mentioned at the um, – I'm all in on, on Luis Robert. I think this is going to be kind of like Acuna and Soto a couple years ago where literally they're just, like, importing a star. And I think that that's just sort of, like, going to really change the equation in that, that division this year. I'll buy it, but Kopech's not playing. Uh, I don't really like Ronaldo Lopez. Keiko's a fourth starter. I, a lot of questions about that pitching staff for me. What I like so far is that we've chosen two different teams at the top, which I didn't think was going to happen. I have the Astros in the West, but I, I got to say, I don't feel very confident about it. It does seem like half their pitching staff hasn't shown up to camp yet, and Granke and Verlander are both you know like 37 years old. So I have the Astros over the A's, but not by a lot. And then Angels, Rangers, Mariners after that. Uh, I'm, I, I've got the A's winning this one. Um, oh, for, the reason, for, the, for the for the reason for the reason you mentioned, uh, I've got A's. Um, I think this is finally year that they, they given the sixty game schedule and the uncertainty, as you said about the the um, the uh, Astros pitching and Jordan Alvarez. There's a lot of uncertainty there. Uh, I'm going A's, Astros, uh, Angels, Rangers, Mariners. So that my wild card teams, and I did what you should never do, is I picked a rematch of the wild card game from last year, Rays and A's. Although this time I'm saying it's going to be in Tampa, not in Oakland. So your wild card teams must be very different. What do you have then? The Yankees and the Astros? I've got Yankees and Blue Jays. Oh, I think I, I think I think that you know 
Uh, again, I think Ryu is a huge addition for them. Um, Vlad at first just makes a lot more sense. I think he's gonna I just I, he's gonna hit in a re, in like a meaningful way. And Bobichet is also a, a a rising star. I just think it's it's a really um, fun dynamic team that is gonna surprise people in a short season. So I have the Yankees coming out of the American League, and you will have what Tampa. I mean, I'll buy it. I'm huge on the race. I, I just think the Yankees are that good. All right. Well, I'm pretty pleased that we did not really have the same teams in the American League. And um, with the exception of the NL West, I can't imagine we have a lot of the same teams in the NL because the NL is such a disaster. I really dislike. Well, ranking... well, I think before we get before we get to before we get to the NL, let's go over the, the just so you know what the what the MLB.com staff picked them. The Ray, the Yankees were picked in the AL East. The, the Yankees and the Rays, the only teams that got votes. Um, the Twins were the runaway, uh, overwhelmingly, o- overwhelming in the AL Central. But the who picked the, the Royals? One person picked the Royals. <laughs> it's a sixty-game season. Let's get weird. Um, but Indians and White Sox each got uh, seven votes apiece. Um, there was, uh, and then the West, the Astros and A's were very, very tight. So um, it's you know about 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 what you about you what what, uh, what you would expect all right let's move to the national league i hated ranking the east i really i really hated it i could see pretty much any combination of teams in the east i went with the nationals i don't feel good about it i don't like their strategy of just bringing back the same old guys who had a nice run of the world series and yet they still have juan soto and scherzer and corbin and strasburg and i have a lot of questions about each of the other teams here at the end you're going to see me just sort of being like obstinate for the sake of it um nationals mets braves marlins phillies i don't actually think that the marlins are better than the phillies but i would i'd be willing to gamble that the marlins will not finish in last because i like their pitching they added a lot of competent bats and if there's any of those other four teams i think could totally fall apart it's the phillies because i really do not like their bullpen at all nationals mets braves marlins phillies uh i'm going with the braves um i just i think that um you know I'm just a huge. Uh, I think they've got the best player, in, maybe the best player in the division, in Acuna, or at least I think this year he will be the best player in the division. How about that? Um, and uh, the the loss of Donaldson stings, no question. But I just I have a hunch that I still think that they they have enough star power and depth to win the division. I have the the Mets behind them. Um, the thing with the Nationals is, you know, that I, I sort of feel this is just. I mean, what we're going to see how it plays out. I feel like. The start the top three starting rotation is so good, but I feel like in a in the short season, if your starter misses any time, it's like such a huge blow. If you miss like one or two Scherzer start, starts and one or two Strasburg starts and one or two, you know just any like I feel like th- those injuries are going to feel even even more even larger in this in in the sixty game season. Granted, now obviously if if Degrom missed time for the Mets, the same would apply. But the Mets aren't quite as reliant on a on a trio of starting pitchers in the same way that the um, the Nationals are. So I'd go Braves. Uh, Mets, Nationals, Phillies, Marlins. Um, in the Central, I, this is also another mess. Uh, the only thing I know about the Central is that the Pirates will finish in last place. I went with the Reds, just ahead of the Cubs, Cardinals, and finally the Brewers. I think I picked the Brewers in fourth place every year, and every year they make me look bad. I didn't like their winter very much. They made a lot of moves. I feel like they got worse, and yet they always seem to overplay our expectations. Um, as I wrote the other day, I really do like Adrian Hauser a lot. I think he could be kind of a breakout guy. But the Reds have sold me. Their starting pitching is very good. I like their lineup. Um, the Their strength of schedule is pretty weak. And every other team in this division is flawed. The Cubs added nothing. 
The Cardinals, I like their pitching. Their lineup is pretty weak. And like I said about the Brewers. So Reds, Cubs, Cardinals, Brewers, Pirates. Um, I'm st- I, I, I'm sticking with the Cubs. I feel like I pick them every year in this division just because I think that their they're, they're star power, um, they might have the strongest core. Um, their, their core even matches up probably with the, with the, with the Dodgers um, or close to it. And I'll stay, stick, stick with the Cubs. Actually, for the reasons you mentioned, I don't have a good feeling about this. I mean, I don't like have a good reasoning for it other than the Brewers always seem to overperform. I've got Cubs, Brewers, Cardinals, Reds, uh, Pirates. But also it should be noted that like Fangraphs right now for a 60 game season has four teams in this division within one game of each other. And so, oh yeah, it's a four way tie basically. And I don't, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, I, I don't. I might make it clear I'm not like disrespecting the Reds. Um, I would not be shocked if, if the the more so than any division. I feel least strongly about this one. The I, I hope to see the Reds compete. I think it's you know Cincinnati is a history of great baseball city. They've got a, a fun mix of players. They're kind of trying it their own way. Like it just I like the way that they've tried to to kind of they tried to go for it this year and what was supposed to be a full season and now in a 60 game season with a DH, which wasn't expected, they may be even better positioned. So, um, but I, 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 um, that's, I still, I still, I still like the Cubs in that division. We have gone through five divisions and picked five different division winners. I can't imagine that's going to hold true in the West. I'm looking at actually the results of uh, the MLB.com writers poll. 54 of the 55 people polled picked the Dodgers to win the West. One lone person picked the Padres. I can tell you it wasn't me, although I do have the Padres in second. Dodgers, Padres, D-backs, Rockies, and Giants. Um, I could see the Diamondbacks being better than the Padres. I think the Padres have a higher upside. Diamondbacks have a higher floor. I don't really think much of either the Rockies or Giants, but I almost wonder if the Dodgers, like, taxi squad, the other 30 guys, could win this division. Like, that's how deep this team is. Yes, it's a really good team, and the bottom of that division is just not is just not especially strong. So, um uh, it seems like that's, this seems like the only division where this is the only division where I would be shocked if a team other than the favorite, like the, than the team other than the team I picked or that the MLB.com writers picked, uh, wins it. And, um, just so to go over the, um, I, I, as, yes. And I picked the Dodgers as well. Uh, MLB.com reporters picked the Braves in the NL East followed by the Nationals and Mets and that's actually Mets and Phillies tied. So it's Braves and Nationals and the central, the Reds just edging out. The Brewers, Cardinals, and Cubs, and then as Mike noted in the West, it's the the Dodgers in a runaway. So, who's your pick to win each 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 uh, each league? Each uh, and you go to the World Series. Yeah, just just quickly, my wild card game there was Mets and Cubs, which I think would be a heck of a lot of fun if that's what it came out of. And my my the my Brewers Cardinals. Yeah, I hate to be boring and just go with the chalk, but Yankees Dodgers. You know, like listen, it hasn't happened in. Man, I hate to say that it hasn't happened in almost 40 years because I was born like six weeks before that last happened, but I guess that's true. And it feels like if it's not going to happen now, when is it going to happen? Yankees, Dodgers with the Yankees taking the title. Um, I've got the uh, I've got the Trivia Bowman Bowl, uh, Rays versus Braves. In the oh, <laughs> all right then. Find out once, once and for all who's the better room in. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess Bowman. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and who do you have winning at all? Yankees. Yankees. All right, I got the Rays winning all. So we're, both, we're we're in agreement on the the World Series winner will come from the AL East, just not on who on who uh, wins it. So why don't we let's go through our award winners? You want to go award at a time, or each give our pick, and then each, you know. And let's let's uh let's start with MVP. Let's I'll, I'll tell you right off the bat that I picked. Huh. Okay, I picked Trout, and then forgot to pick an NL MVP. So let me think about that one for a second. I picked Trout and uh, Yelich. I think I said Yelich. Let's say that. 
Um, okay, that makes sense. And for the record, I'm picking my MVP based on who I think is going to win, not necessarily think who I think should win. So I kind of built in a narrative into my pick. <laughs> so I built into my narrative of the A's winning the West that Matt Chapman will be their best player. And so that I have Matt Chapman winning AL MVP, but it's based, it's sort of like, I still think Mike Trout will be the best player, but I think if the A's win the West and beat the Astros, the MVP is going to come from their team and it will be Matt Chapman. I, I think you're putting too much emphasis on the best player on the, especially like he, if they win, right. It, it's going to be because Olsen had a good year and Simeon had a good year and he might, Chapman might not be the best player by a lot. Just, I think that's just let be me true. be me, Mike. And I've got uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. winning a National League MVP. Uh, fair enough. I, I really can't argue against that. Uh, Cy Young Award winner. Uh, would it be kind of cool if we had two New York-based Cy Young winners? I have, you know, Garrett Cole and Jacob DeGrom. I feel a little more confident in Cole because I, I think he's the best pitcher in baseball. And I think, you know, with the NL, you could say, what a Flaherty keeps going nuts. You know, Scherzer is still there. Bueller, you know, but um, I'll go DeGrom and I will go Cole. Um, I went to Grom for the same reason. I actually picked Blake Snell in the AL, but as I talk, as you talk about it, and the fact that like Cole might get, get like two or three starts against the Orioles. Um, well, I mean, uh, Snell would too. They, they play them the I, same amount, but, but I, I don't I, think Snell's going to start the first like two or three games. And it? also, just Snell that the other thing with Snell is like the Rays. You know, he might not get the innings. They'll, they'll use their pitchers right. in a more unconventional manner. The more I think about it, I'm sort of like I'll say Snell because that's what I put down when I made my official picks. But like as we talk about it, like. Goal, Cole probably makes more more sense. All right, and why don't you why don't you go with the rookie of the year? Who do you have for these? Um, I've got Gavin Lux in the NL and um, Luis Robert in the AL, uh, which I should yeah. come as no surprise for anyone who's listened to the the, the rest of this podcast till this point. I mean, I do too. That is that's such chalk. I like Lux because I think he's going to be great, but also he already got some big league time, you know, and and he's still a rookie. I feel like Robert's getting a little bit overhyped just because of what he's done the last couple of days. I mean, if you look at what he's done in the minors, he really didn't show like tremendous power up until last year. I don't think that necessarily means he's not going to be good. I think he's going to be very good. There's just so many different options uh, in the American league, right? You could say him, you could say like, you know, Joe Adele or uh, Kyle Lewis, I think was the next guy on my list. I really thought Kyle Lewis um, was fantastic last year, but you look at the A's, Luzardo, right? Or, or Sean Murphy, um, or Nate Pearson of the Blue Jays, right? But I'll go with Robert. I'll go chalk on this. I mean, it's also that he, we know he's going to be in the opening day lineup and have a job. I think that also plays into it that he's going to get the, you know, he's going to get, you know, granted, counting stats are going to feel a little different this year. You know, it could be the difference between like, you know, 12 home runs and eight home runs, which won't look as, won't look as like wide as, you know, the difference between like 30 and, and, and 20. But um, I, uh, you know, as, I, as you could tell, I'm a big believer. Yeah. Um, so those are our awards. Please don't look back on these in two months and remind us of what they were. Although now that I say that, I'm pretty sure I usually tweet mine like right before opening day every year. So I make it as, as easy as possible to come back and shame me. Uh, thanks very much for listening. This is the first episode of the new Ballpark Dimensions podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Please let us know if you did or didn't. We've got a lot of fun new guests coming up. And the next time we speak, there will have been Major League Baseball regular season games And I think I speak for Matt when I say I'm just so excited to see that. So thank you again for listening. We will catch you soon.